Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. If you want more bonus material and to support the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash la vie creative. And also don't forget to check out Amazon where you can pick up my new book, Paris, A Life Less Ordinary. In the book, I talk about my creative adventures in Paris, from starting my business to being homeless, hello, starving artist, (laughs) to how I met all these wonderful creative people. Don't forget to check it out on Amazon. And also thank you so much once more for listening and for your support. Enjoy the show. So welcome back to Paris History of A.K. Hemingway. I am here with Claudine Hemingway, and we are talking about Madame de Pompadour today. And I'm curious if you've heard of this woman. A lot of people have, at least if you visited Versailles, you've probably heard her name floating around. We've mentioned her in some of our other podcasts, um, but you're going to learn all about her crazy history today. Yeah, Madame de Pompadour is she's a pretty fascinating story, as all of these people are, of course. Um, but she was actually born Jean um, Antoinette Poisson, and she was born December 29th, 1721, in Paris. Her father, uh, Francois Poisson, was a food commissioner, and during the famine of 1725, he was um, accused of fraud and for tra- uh, trafficking um, uh, food when you know, trying to make a little extra money on the side of his own and he was forced to flee France. So he had to leave France. He went to Germany. And so their home that they lived in, everything, you know, everything that they'd had was seized. And really? so now, you know, Jean and her mother were left in Paris and two men stepped in to help look after them. Oh, so nice. her mother, Madame de la Motte, um, was, had two men. So there was Charles Francois, um, Paul Namore, and he ended up becoming her legal guardian. Some people think that he might have actually been her father. Mm. So maybe that's why he did it so easily. Jean Paris de uh, Montmartel also was another man, but he wasn't um, he wasn't featured in their life quite as much as old Charles Francois. Interesting. So- she um, was when she was old, a little bit older, she was sent to the Ursuline convent and was educa- educated there um, among a lot of the other, um, the elite of Paris. And so when she was nine years old, she ended up having to go home because she felt so sick. Hmm. She was in really poor health. So her mother, you know, what you do when you don't feel well, you go to a fortune teller. <laughs> of course. I mean, that makes perfect sense. I still do that today. 
Yeah. So she was told um, very young, you know, here she's like nine years old, that one day that she would hold the heart of the king. Wow. And so after that, they called her Rainette, which was basically means little queen. And so she grew, they basically from that moment on raised her and trained her to be the mistress of the king. So they were really believing in that uh, fortune telling. I mean, it just seems weird that your your mother would be like, all right, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, but as we've learned from our other history yeah. lessons, that's kind of was the only path for a woman to like make any money. <laughs> there was. And being the mistress of the king wasn't a bad deal until it was over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once it was over, it never really ends well. Um. But so he ended up her, you know, guardian slash maybe father, but hired the best teachers for her to teach her painting and theater and dance and the arts. And so it was basically like they were just raising her to become this like educated, cultured woman that was going to someday find the heart of the king. So weird. Yeah. So in 1740 at 19, which was so old to get married <laughs> in these stories, she was married to a man named Charles Guillaume Le Nomont d'Atois, and he was a nephew of her um, guardian slash maybe father. And so he, Tornheim, was so uh, so happy about this. He made his nephew the sole heir to his incredibly huge fortune, cutting out all of his other children and grandchildren, mm. which doesn't go over very well with the family. So. <laughs> He gave the newlyweds a sh- the Chateau d'Etoile, um, just 17 miles outside of Paris and on the edge of the forest of um, Senet. And so the marriage was very happy. And she told him that she would always love him, but with an understanding that she could leave him for the king. I mean, I love this. I, that's like the perfect wedding vows, you know, like, yeah. I love you until the king takes you away. <laughs> I mean, this is all about like, this is way before the secret came out. Like you just put it out there in the universe and you just keep you it. <laughs> the hell out of that. I mean, she had her vision board. Yeah, she secreted the hell out of it. So she, you know, they were, they were actually pretty happy. He had two kids, a son in 1744 who died months later and a daughter, Alexandrine, who was um, who died when she was nine years old. So she ended up being she was a fixture at like all of the salons in Paris. She we have brought her name up. Like we said many times, we brought her name up with Ninon, with quite a few of the other people. She met at the salons. She met Voltaire, Montesquieu, Fontenelle. Um, she met all these people at the, uh, so she was like very, you know, she was in the right place at the right time. And so she had, she started having her own salons and Voltaire would come and the Cardinal de Bernay would attend. And it was, you know, now it's starting to spread even more and it's getting to court. So it was at the salon um, where she learned the art of the conversation and she knew exactly how to talk to people and, you know, what things to bring up. And, and, you know, she, she was very smart with what she did. Uh And so in 1742, you know, they were already talking to her about her at the court of Versailles. She knew Louis the 15th hunted in the forest by their chateau. So she made a plan to meet the king. So I guess her lord wasn't so happy. Yeah. So this is like, this is just amazing. So one day in a pink carriage, wearing a blue dress, 
she basically cut right in front of his path without stopping, just like ran right into in front of them. And he saw it and he was, you know, thinking, oh, who's this person in the pink carriage? A few days later, she takes a blue carriage in a pink dress. Wow. <laughs> Apparently you have multicolored carriages at your disposal. <laughs> As one does. And so she does it again and she just keeps going. She just keeps going. She doesn't stop. So Louis the 15th, of course, is like, who is this person? He, you know, hears about her. And as a gesture, uh, a grand gesture, he sent her a whole venison as a gift. I mean, how sweet. That's the way to a woman's heart. Nothing says love like a dead deer. (laughs) (laughs) Or a pink and blue carriage, I guess. I know, exactly. It's so strange. So, but his fascination started growing quickly with her. And he was just like, who is this person? His current um, headmistress, the Madame de Chateau, had heard about Pompadour and was just like, you know, who who is this woman? And she was getting a little worried. So she was trying to, you know, keep her away from court, but she couldn't. And Louis the Fifteenth was, um, you know, still really interested in her. On February 24th, 1745, she was invited to attend a mass ball at Versailles to celebrate um, the marriage of the Dauphin, Louis de France, to the Infanta Marie Therese of Spain. Mm. And so she came in there and it was a mask ball and everybody was in costumes. She dressed as Diane the Huntress, of course, so fitting for her crazy carriage rides. And so she kind of floated into the ball Louis the Fifteenth was dressed along with seven of his um, seven of his men. They were dressed as trees. <laughs> what I know, a little strange. <laughs> so not sexy. Like she's like a huntress and she's a tree. <laughs> I know. It's like I know I'm going to be a tree. That'll get her. So he couldn't stay away from her, and everyone could see that. And he basically was like infatuated with her. Three days later, on February 28th, at the Hotel de Ville in Paris, in front of everyone, he publicly pledged that his undying love to her. As one does. I hope he brought a dead deer. I know. Hopefully, yes. And a dead deer. And so a few, right after that, a few weeks later, she moved into Versailles. So, you know, the husband was probably like, well, I guess that had to happen. (laughs) (laughs) told me at the beginning. All of these stories, there's always these women and they're married. And then they're just like, I mean, I wonder what's, I mean, there's some of them that kind of freak out, but most of the husbands are like, yep, that's just what happened. (laughs) What are you going to do? Compete with the king. Yeah, I mean, you can't really compete with the king as like yeah. game. <laughs> so she was moved moved into the bedroom above his, and of course, you know, if you go to Versailles, I'm sure you've all heard that the the secret doors um, that are basically flush to the wall. They don't. You have to really look to see them, but they have staircases behind them. And not only did you know that's where Marie Antoinette was able to escape, but it also allowed the king to go visit his mistresses. So um, on May 7th, the officials um, finally separated her husband, and which was a huge thing back then, because that wasn't something, you know, that was easily able to be done there. But I guess when you're the king, you can make that happen. Okay. Um, but she had to have a title. You had to have a title to be at court. So he ended up purchasing the uh, Marquise de Pompadour and the estate. So she now had a title, a chateau, and her very own crest. I, wow. I mean, it's so crazy that a fortune teller told her this and the family just I know. groomed her and her husband was on board. I mean, what happened to that guy? Where'd he go? I guess her kids both passed away. So she was over yeah. that. Yeah. 
So um, on February 14th, 1745, she was formally introduced to court because you had to you had to be introduced. Somebody had to sponsor you. Somebody had to walk you in, introduce you. So it wasn't just kind of like, oh, here's a new mistress. It was like this very formal. There was a huge like pomps, pomp and circumstance that went into everything. Sounds very French. Yeah. Um, but she also kept a really close relationship with the queen. So she was so close. She was really close and she was trusted by Louis the 15th. And, and she was basically like the de facto prime minister of France. I mean, keep your enemies closer, right? Yeah. <laughs> so she had so much influence over him. He would talk to her and ask her advice on just about everything. And this is Louis the 15th. So, you know, most people know Louis the 14th, of course, and Louis the 16th, because, you know, he lost his head. But Louis the 15th kind of didn't have he didn't do the crazy huge sweeping issues that the other two had he just kind yeah. of like the one in between that you know was quite the lothario and had all the ladies he was a placeholder he yeah he was there right there in the middle um so their affair lasted from 1745 to 1751 and in that time um he gave her tons of chateaus <laughs> I love it. I'm so jealous. And and the two of them would basically like redesign and work with all these artists, like all these different Rococo artists, um, especially Francois Boucher. Uh, But the two of them kind of, you know, would go through these chateaus, but then also redecorate everything. So she, she had a lot of influence on just about everything. She ended up getting pregnant three times with him, but all of them miscarried. And her began, it just really started to take a toll on her health. And that kind of changed their relationship. Mm, I guess she wasn't so interested in sex after miscarrying three times. Yeah, no. So on October 12, 1752, she was named the Duchess. Um, and in 1756, she was the lady in waiting to the queen, which is the highest position a woman could hold in court. Like there's the queen. And then the lady in waiting is basically like the, the next biggest thing. Uh-huh. Um so their sexual relationship basically ended, but they remained extremely close. She was the only person he fully trusted and he went to her for every single thing. He had the petite train on built for her, but she never saw it. She never saw it completed. Mm, I love the petite train. I know. So he was, you know, she was this huge, but she loved the art. She loved painting. She loved everything. She was a huge supporter of them. And she would get most of them, you know, she would get these artists that she would discover and she'd get them in front of the king. And so he could, you know, like she helped develop their careers because that's the highest honor, of course, in France is to get to the king. And then you're, you know, the king's official painter, which is about as good as you could get. She helped a little guy. Yeah. So sculpture Jean-Baptiste Pigalle, which, you know, Pigalle is, you know, where his name, his name was given to. Um, he created a bunch of different statues for one of her um, chateaus. And it's one of them is called Friendship. It's in the Louvre today. If you go into the Corpuget, um, on the l- middle level of it, there are a bunch of statues. And it's really interesting because they have this one of her um, is Friendship. If you look to the right, there's um, one of them that's the two of them together that's re- redone. And then to the right of that's one of Louis the 15th. And then to the right of that is his wife. So I always look at it as like this crazy triangle of how they placed all these things. <laughs> the wife, the mistress and the husband. I like it. It's all in stone. Yeah. So she had with them, the two of them also created a um, porcelain factory in Vincennes that was later moved 
to Sevres in 1759, which is the, you know, everybody talks about Sevres pottery. That's like the French, you know, pottery yeah. in China. And they basically kind of put that, started that together. So they were like little entrepreneurs together. They were little entrepreneurs. Uh, but she, you know, she still was, she loved the arts. And so she learned how to do engraving on gemstones. That's cool. And Jacques Gouet taught her how to do this. And she had this whole, like, uh, she had an engraving machine. Everything moved into Versailles. So she had a little craft room. <laughs> She's a crafter. <laughs> she was a crafter. She had a craft room. And she would sit, she would sit there and, like, engrave on, like, emeralds and stuff, which just seems crazy to me. <laughs> um, but Fra uh, Francois Boucher also taught her how to do engravings and printmakers printmaking and so she had all the equipment brought in for that and she loved books and so she had her own printing press I mean this sounds like my dream life you know just chilling I don't even have to have sex with the king I got my craft room you know <laughs> that sounds like a good life to me you have multiple chateaus yeah and then I got my print my printing press you know yeah I mean, there are some downsides, you know, somebody's standing there watching you get dressed in the morning and you go to the bathroom on a chair in the middle of the room, but <laughs> whatever. I got castles. I got, That's true. so you have some castles, but she also liked to have her own plays. And so she would put on these plays and she performed them at court. And so one time she played Pomon, who is resisting the advances of the gar the god of the garden, Vertum. And that's one of the statues you see in the Louvre. And yeah. here it is, Vertum is wearing a mask and he's trying to hide himself to get close to her. Or um, sorry, Pomon. And he's trying to get close to Vertum and he disguises himself as an old lady. So the statue shows that he lifts his mask and then she sees who he truly is. But it's so much also of um, reminiscent of how they met. Yeah, they're at this mass ball and then he pulls it up. But you'll, I'll post some pictures. It is really interesting to see the juxtaposition of, of them. And I always feel kind of bad for the queen. I'm like, here she is standing for eternity in the Louvre looking at her husband's <laughs> mistress. <laughs> I mean, but they were friends. So it all yeah. worked out. Yeah, she was a, she was a friend. So um, in 1753, Louis XV purchased a little place in Paris for her, the Hotel d'Evreux, which was later the Elysee Palace. Oh, so, pretty. so she had a place to stay when they she was in, in Paris. Um, so she would split her time between there and going to Versailles and then her palace um, at Be in Bellevue, um, just outside of Paris. And she would basically just move around there. At this point, you know, they're not there's nothing sexual between them, but he still considered her his closest, closest advisor and person in his life. So the, the fact that the, that the Elysee palace used to belong to the courtesan or the mistress of the king kind of practice. <laughs> and now the president lives there. And now the president lives there. Um, but on, on February 7th, 1756, um, he gave her another title, Lady of the Queen's Palace and the Chateau de Menard. And he, so now she has what, like 40 titles. <laughs> say, well, how many titles this woman got? Yeah, but she's growing older. She's in very poor health. Like she, you know, her poor health from when she was a child kind of always stayed there. She's um, really struggled with how cold and damp it was at Versailles. 
And so she moved up to a really small room in the attic where she could try to keep it warmer. Um, on April 15, 1764, she was only 42 years old. She died of a pulmonary congestion. And oh. Louis XV was there holding her hand by her side. This is so sweet. Oh my yeah. God, she was so young, 42. Yeah. And she died at Versailles, which there was a rule that nobody was allowed to die inside the walls of Versailles but the king. Whoa. Which I'm not really sure how you control something like that. But (laughs) probably quite a few people died at Versailles. I think so too. But he, you know, of course, it was an exception because it was Pompadour. Yeah. So two, two days later, this huge funeral was held at the Église Notre Dame de Versailles, which is a beautiful church. It's a very short walk from the Chateau de Versailles. Um, and the the king was just completely distraught. Like he was having a very difficult time um, even getting through it. He She was then taken to Paris. She was buried next to her mom and her daughter at the Capucine convent. Mm, that's the day that convent is gone. And she is basically buried beneath the sidewalk (laughs) at number three, Rue de la Paix. So they just like mowed over that and like dig up the bodies. No, no. so she's literally, she's literally thought to be under the sidewalk, not like under the building, just like right under the sidewalk. But that's shocking because she was like a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Some people think that she's missing some, you know, I mean, back then, like once it gets to the revolution, I mean, all bets were off on bodies and where they ended up, but you know, that's, is where she was buried and she was never moved. I mean, she's probably sitting in some French guy's living room. Probably. Yeah. Like weirdo that kept Henry the fourth's head for a while. Um, But in her life, like her biggest thing, she didn't really, you know, it was, of course, being the, you know, mistress to the king, but she really was a huge promoter of the arts. And she even helped, um, she was one of the ones that really helped do put the whole funding for the Ecole Militaire and also Place Louis XV, which came into Place de la Revolution, which turned into Place de la Concorde. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. But her name, I mean, a lot of people might know her name and you hear Pompadour and you hear, you know, there's the Pompadour hair and there's a pompadour diamond there's all these different things the name given to the diamond cut that's called pompadour is it's kind of a oval you know an oval shaped diamond and he had it designed louis the 15th had it designed for her because it reminded him of the shape of her mouth that's interesting and weird (laughs) <laughs> a little weird. Um, the pompadour hair, um, the hairstyle is kind of the whole Elvis thing. I'm really, I don't really know how that correlates with her. It seems like a little bit of a stretch. Um, but the other wi- old wives tale is the coop where a lot of people would think that the the champagne coop was created on the shape of her breast. That's actually, you know, not true. People have say it's Marie Antoinette. We've talked about before. That's actually not true either. Um, but her name, you know, has been, has been given to so many different things. The Petit Trianon um, that she never saw finished, she died before it was finished, was given to his next mistress, the Madame du Berry, which we will talk about again soon, mm-hmm. um, which then, of course, became the home of that Marie Antoinette loved so much. Yeah, yeah. Whenever I go to the Petit Trianon, I just think of Marie Antoinette. I didn't even yeah. know it was built for Madame de Pompadour. Yeah, it was built for Pompadour. So, 
um, there is a painting, this beautiful, it's pretty big painting. It's a pastel and it's by um, Maurice Canton de la Tour. And he painted this in 1748 of her. And I'll put a picture up, um, but she's sitting there in a chair in this beautiful um, silver gray dress. And she's uh, surrounded by books and she wanted him to paint her um, with a remembrance of how much she was involved in the arts. It includes books that, and books that she had done and engravings that she had done. Uh, but she didn't want to just be remembered as the mistress. She wanted to also be remembered as like how intellectual and smart she was and such a huge supporter of the arts. I mean, when you think about it, it's really funny, this whole like mistress idea, because it's just, I mean, they basically were their wives. They were their wives yes. choosing because the queen was just assigned to them. So like there's yeah. this like negative connotation with like the word mistress, like she's just the side piece. But really in reality, it was more so his wife, you know, just without the paperwork. Yeah, I think there was actually like more feelings there. Like, you know, when we talked about um, Madame de Maintenon and Louis the Fourteenth. Like, I think with her, you know, being his second wife, you know, kind of the secret wife, he was able to finally actually find true love because marriages, like you said, that was just kind of, you know, the marriages were all about um, politics and uniting different countries and ending wars. So there wasn't, you know, and they were just assigned to you. You, you, you were married by proxy. You weren't even there when you got married. So I think these mistresses definitely were more of, you know, uh, more of an actual true love. Yeah, that was like their chosen wife if they had a choice. It feels like the queen was more the mistress. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> you know, probably getting less attention than the, the mistress was. Yeah, I think she was probably like a fancy roommate. <laughs> yeah, a fancy roommate. And I'm sure the queens all had their little playboys too. They had their side. Because, oh, yes. you know, it was just a weird setup all together. So. It's so like the word mistress is like such a negative thing. But at the same time, I mean, in today's world, it's like, oh, gosh, you're cheating your wife. But back then, I feel like they were the actual true loves and they were not mistresses by the term we know today. They yeah, were no. the actual love. And, you know, in French, it's maîtresse de tête. So it's like the headmistress is what the translation, but maîtresse sounds so much better. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, fascinating. Thanks, Claudine, for teaching us again about all these wonderful women in history. And don't forget to tune in next week, guys, and check out Claudine's website for these beautiful photos of things that may be missing. You can see a sidewalk, you know, where she's... she's (laughs) (laughs) Go to ClaudineHemingway.com and tune in next week. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Paris History Effect A Hemingway. If you want to find out some more, you could always find me on my Instagram page, Claudine Bleu Blanc Rouge, and that's B-L-E-U, as in the French way to spell it. And each day I post a daily history lesson about a person or a place or something in Paris, or it's lots of fun facts. And then also at ClaudineHemingway.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter there.